We're reading James 3, 1 through 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is named and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the word of God. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a phrase that many of us probably said when we were growing up. How many of you kids, is that, I feel like that's not a phrase anymore. Do kids still say that? Maybe, I don't know. I feel like there's other things we do. I think the reason we said this phrase, and some of us were even taught this um, probably by our parents, but it was a way to pretend that words did not hurt us. And maybe if we figured that we said it loud enough, uh, we would begin to believe it was true. And we were even taught that sometimes, hey, just pretend like it doesn't hurt you, and then they'll stop, right? That's how we used to handle teasing. Um, The problem is we've all grown up, and we've realized that that statement has not panned out to be true. In fact, words sometimes can be more damaging than physical pain, at least emotionally. I think the reason why is if somebody physically hurts us, we know where the pain comes from. It's pretty black and white. We know um, that someone was intending to do that. We know the process to healing, that it's going to be a process, but one day it will probably eventually be healed. But with words, sometimes we don't even know the damage that's being done until much later. Even if we told ourselves we weren't hurt by someone's words, we can look up years later and realize the damage that was done. Maybe it was um, lies that we begin to internalize and believe. Maybe it was self-fulfilling prophecies about yourself, right? And you got pigeonholed into a box as if you were the, the dumb kid, right? Or the slow kid or the unathletic person or whatever it was, whatever you were labeled by. And maybe some of those were truths that were spoken over you. Maybe you were unathletic, Um, but it was this idea of truth spoken not from the motivation of love. It was meant to hurt you and harm you. And whatever it was, it affected you. Because the truth is words are powerful. Words have repercussions. The tongue is a small member of our body, but it is a powerful thing. And in our passage that we're looking at today from James chapter three, we get what is probably the lengthiest and strongest single discourse in the scriptures about the tongue. In perfect James style, he reveals to us the truth about the powerful and deadly dangers of the tongue, helping us to understand that that the gift of our speech within our speech that we've been given, we each have an enormous opportunity that we can either bring life or death. We can 
build up or destroy. We can bless or we can curse. The question is, what will we choose to do with our tongue? Good morning again, church. Um, as I said earlier, my name is Joel. I get to serve as, actually, I didn't say that earlier, I don't think. So, um, but uh, my name is Joel. I get to serve as one of the pastors um, and elders here at New Eden Church, specifically the pastor for preaching and oversight. So that just means I get to do this on a regular basis and um, just grateful to be a part of this body. As you guys see, we're continuing in our James series. We're kind of full-fledged into this at this point. Today, we're in James chapter three. We're gonna be in verses one all the way through verses 12. Um, We know by this point, James is not pulling any punches. We've said this from the beginning. James will hit you between the eyes at one point or another. James is after our undivided loyalties. He is after, as Chris talked to us about last week, a faith that is alive. So he doesn't spend much time dancing around his point. He makes it pretty plain. He wants us to understand. I actually believe one of the primary aims of James in his writing is to bring us to a point that we're gonna get to see next week that we all need grace. And so he wants us to be at a place of humility so that we can receive grace. And so he's challenging these areas that we all struggle in. He said it today in the text, we all fail in many ways. And today specifically, he's going to do this with the idea of the tongue. Today's text is actually pretty simple. Unlike last week, which Chris got to handle, you know, one of the seminal passages on faith and works and and that one where there was a lot of explaining and Chris did a great job with that. This week is like, it's pretty simple. Like the text kind of means what it says and says what it means. And it's just, there it is. Like, I don't have to say much, just read it. But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, within the text itself, James says the things that he is calling us to are actually impossible. Taming the tongue, good luck. And so what we're gonna do with our time is to just walk through this text. I have three things about the tongue that we're gonna look at, three, three things about the tongue from the text in front of us and some other supporting scriptures. And so um, let's start first by looking at the danger of the tongue. This is our first main theme the danger of the tongue. James is not mince words. You just heard it read. The tongue is powerful and dangerous. The whole passage, verses one through 12, is simply James trying to convince you of this truth. If you don't think the tongue is dangerously powerful, let me just lay it out there for you. The world has recognized this at certain moments in history that the tongue can actually have uh, deadly repercussions. Um, some of you history buffs might remember the phrase, loose lips sink ships. Uh, originated in World War II, there were posters made with this phrase, and it was just to remind Americans that, hey, what you talk about and who you talk about, these different things about the war can actually have real world implications, whether it can change the morale of our servicemen and women, or it can give information that should not be shared, and it can sink ships. If you say the wrong thing around the wrong people, consequences can be deadly. And that phrase, loose lips sink ships, it's become an idiom that we've used in our culture to talk, to remind us that unguarded speech can have unintended consequences. And so James goes a lot further though than just sinking some ships. Like the central verses of our text, verses six through eight, I'm gonna read these again for us. And look at the way James talks about it. The tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. 
Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, he's just like, here you go. The tongue is powerful and dangerous. And so in our passage, James gives us a few reasons why this is true. And I think it'd be helpful for us to think about them for a second. He first starts by reminding us that our words hold weight. Whether we believe it or not, whether we think they're just kind of words that just kind of thrown out, I didn't really mean that, they hold weight. It's why he starts by telling us in verse one, not many should become teachers because there's a stricter judgment in store. And the idea here is that teachers in the Christian church, this includes elders, pastors, preachers, but it also includes anybody with an opportunity to teach with authority within the church, whatever capacity that is, the more you use your words, the more you have an opportunity to misuse those words and to misuse the authority and power and influence that you hold with those words. And that's a sobering thing. Um, Studying the passage this week has been convicting for me. Um, A good reminder that words hold power. Um, This idea that sometimes when we're, we're, we're just flippantly using our words and not recognizing the weight that they carry. I remember the first time, like, I feel like, I don't know, maybe when I turned 30, people thought you were mature enough and you had life figured out and, you know, or whatever. And the first time I'm talking to someone, I'm like, they're actually listening to what I'm saying and care, like t- holding it value. I'm like, I need to be careful. Like, I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, so I'm always like giving disclaimers. Like, I don't know, this, this is what I think, but you know, they take it for what it's worth. But um, the idea though, is that when we have the opportunity to like stand up, we, we gotta steward those words carefully. And so again, the idea is, nobody, is not that nobody should teach. Clearly James himself is teaching by writing this letter, right? So, so that's not it. What he's saying though is that teachers should understand the weight of their words. And we all, whatever those roles are, right? What, whenever we find ourselves in a role where someone's taking the words we're saying, we need to steward those well. The words of teachers should be ones that build up and edify and press the church onto love and maturity. That's why it's, it's doubly dangerous when a teacher uses his words to abuse or misuse others or misuse their power. So words are dangerous and powerful because first of all, they hold weight and secondly, because they guide us. This is what he describes in verses three and four. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And he talks about ships and there's a small rudder, but wherever the the will of the pilot directs, the whole ship goes. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. And I think kind of what he's getting after here is the tongue is small, but it actually tends to lead and guide and direct our entire lives. And not only our lives as individuals, but entire communities. He talks about the tongue being placed among our members. And some, some commentators believe he's talking more about the corporate body how the tongue within a congregation can begin to um, not use rightly, it can destroy and tear down the community of faith we're connected to. And the tongue loves to boast great things. We love to, uh, what's the saying? Write a check you can't cash, right? Whether it be talking about others, some of us boast in the way that we actually just demean others, right? We, that's, the, that's the type of boasting we don't always call boasting, but to build ourselves up, we just tear others down and we're constantly talking about them. It's still boasting. Um, Some of us love to boast by overselling ourselves and our own abilities. And our words tend to get us in trouble a lot. It it tends to boast great things and we're just driven along. 
So, so whether he means it as an individual that your tongue among your members can lead and guide you or maybe he means it corporately that together the tongue can lead and guide an entire body of people, the point still stands. What we say matters, which is why I think that the only boast that should ever be on the tongue of the Christian is boasting in the accomplishments of Christ, not ourselves. It's all we have to boast in anyways. So James tells us the tongue is powerful and dangerous because words carry weight, because words guide us, and next, because words can destroy. I already read verses six through eight, but it is this picture of destruction. And he makes clear that the tongue holds the power of hell in its grasp, and it sets on fire the world around us. Like each of you hold in your tongue, whether you think you have influence or not, you hold in your tongue an incredible ability to build up or tear down, to speak life or speak death. And this isn't just metaphorical. James loves to use metaphor and that's a piece of this. But, but the reality is that there is a connection between the way we speak and actual physical violence in the world. Researchers have discovered a connection between hate speech or disinformation being spreaded and then violence following that. When words of hate are spewed against various people groups on, on any side of the aisle, right? Or, or if disinformation and untruths is allowed to spread and go unchecked, like not far behind that will be, will be chaos, will be violence, sometimes genocide. It's what Hitler was able to use. This is a reality that James is talking about. The enemy loves to use the words of humanity to turn around and destroy itself. It's why Christians should be the last ones to excuse any hateful rhetoric towards certain groups of people. It doesn't matter where you land. You don't get to just, as a Christian, we don't get to just be like, well, I disagree with them here, so I can just throw shots. It's also why Jesus followers need to be careful to avoid participating in sharing or promulgating falsehoods, right? And we live in an information overload age. There is always, I promise you, you can find someone to agree with your opinion on the internet. But we have to make sure that those things are factual. And, 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 and so my encouragement to us as Christians is if we don't have time to do the, the proper research and checking, just maybe we, should, we can be quiet sometimes. You don't, here's what I'll say. You don't have to be an expert on every issue. The world says you do. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? No, you have to have an opinion. No, you don't always have to. You can say, I don't know, right? I, I, that issue is too complicated for me. I haven't had time to study it. Maybe one day I will. Not right now. That's okay. As Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's why this matters. Matthew 12.36, that's what Jesus said. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. Words are not meaningless nor innocent. This includes our written words. I guess I should do this now. We don't type, well, some of you might type on Facebook, but most of you, you know, do this or Instagram, social media, whatever, right? And, and I've been convicted of this. Like, you know, the older I've gotten, like, I don't need to just flippantly say that. You know, I need to think about that. Words can destroy, they can tear down. And like a match starting a wildfire, they can destroy entire communities, entire churches, and those fires cannot be easily put out just like a wildfire. Those are a few reasons. The last reason, probably the most important reason James tells us that the tongue is dangerous, is that words can curse those who are made in God's image. 
Look at verses nine through 12, the last part of our text. He says, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? The clear answer is no. Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. James draws on the creation story. This is actually one of the few times we explicitly hear of the Imago Dei, as we've entitled it. The, 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 the truth that in the New Testament, it's the first time, one of the only times we hear of it. In the Old Testament, you see it a lot. In the creation story where we're told that God creates good things. And, and if you think about it, how does God create with his words? He speaks and it is so. And at the apex of his creation, when he stands back and he says it's good, he creates man and woman and creates humanity. And he breathes into them the breath of life. And he commissions them to join him in this creation project to spread his glory to the ends of the earth. We know that humanity rebelled. So we recognize that in each human bears the capacity for great evil as James is being honest about. But James also knows the truth of the Imago Dei. He holds these two truths together without competing them against each other. That each human, no matter who they are, they bear in their being the very breath of God not by choice, but by the simple fact of their existence. And James says that we can't stand up here and as we sang a few minutes ago, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and then walk out of here and trash whoever it is, our server, our neighbor, whoever it is. James says that doesn't compute. Just like he said last week, faith without works is dead. It doesn't make sense. This doesn't mean curse just in the sense of using strong language. It can mean using demeaning language towards someone as a curse word, but it just means simply to demean them. This is something like I have to be on guard against. I'll find myself talking about people in a certain way and I, I think I'm fully justified in it. Whether it's the ref at the youth football game that I hear people trash and I mean this, like, and, and, or, or the person that cut us off in traffic. And I'm guilty, right? I mean, I'm with James. No one can tame the tongue. Who can do it? We have to be reminded that every human, both in the church and without, are created in God's image. And we live in a culture right now that has no problem saying whatever we want about others. As long as they're on the other side of the argument, we are all about the end justifying the means. But as Christians, we trust God's sovereignty with the end. So we don't have the option to use whatever means we want. And the means is just as important as the end. And so we'll excuse the mean because we think it's justified. Sometimes we even say, and I've heard Christians say this, well, at least that person's, you know, saying what, what everyone should be saying or whatever, even if that person's like an absolute jerk. Like we even sometimes want people like that to lead us. And, and I like my brothers and sisters, these things ought not so to be. In the world, we expect it, not in the church. And the reason all of this is scary is because James says that these words reveal our true condition. Again, lest you think James is after you just figured out how to bite your tongue and get a little better at it, he wants to get to the root of it. He asks some logical questions. Can a spring pour out both bitter and fresh water? No, like it doesn't work that way. Like a spring is giving you one or the other. 
Can a fig tree produce olives? The obvious answer is, is no. And what he's after is for us not to just look and say, let me just clean up my speech. He wants you to reflect into your heart and say, if we've been truly made into Christ's likeness, if we've truly been transformed, then, then our speech and our lives, the fruit of our lives will not be that of speech that tears down and destroys others. Literally the opposite of what God has done from the moment he spoke and created and cultivated life and asked us to join him in that. It's the enemy that destroys and tears down and speaks untruths and lies. And so our tongue and our words and our speech reveal who we truly are. It's why I asked my daughter, I'm not gonna tell you which one, I got three so I can say this. When she lies, I'm like, who are you acting like? I said, who's the father of lies? She says, the devil. I said, that's right. So when you lie, whose daughter are you acting like? The devil. Is that who you are? No, that's not. You're God's daughter. He's, he's truth. He's the way. And so let's be fashioned to his image. Let's ask him for help because you can't do it on your own. I'm deceptive too when it gets me my way. See, our tongue and our words and our speech reveal who we really are. We love to give apologies for our words. Well, I didn't really mean that. That's not who I am. Jesus says the opposite. We got to wrestle with this. Matthew 12, 34, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Our words betray how we really feel. And whether we like it or not, we need to be honest about the state of what's inside of us. I think it's interesting that when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord in the temple in Isaiah 6, the prophet, first thing he said is, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. When he came face to face with the glory of God, he said, woe is me, I am unclean. No one can read through this list and come out unscathed. If, if there's nothing in here that you're like, oh, I don't struggle with that, I'm, I'm gonna challenge you, you're probably ignorant or arrogant or both, okay? James ironically says as much in verses seven through eight, we read this, but he says, I'll read it again. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So he's calling the church to maturity and use of the tongue. And then he says, now good luck. You can't do it. See, our problem is not that we need to learn how to bite our tongue more. Our problem is that we need a new heart. We saw the danger of the tongue. And now secondly, we see the taming of the tongue. Really, in our passage today, James only gives us the bad news. Of course, he's writing a whole letter, and he's going to get to some good news. But if we just kind of left it here and said, all right, guys, go get better. Quit being bad at using your words. Just clean it up. Quit saying uh, things to your kids and speaking negatively to them. Quit uh, losing your temper. Quit talking about someone in the negative way. Um, I, th I think you would go back and do what we've all done again. Try to get better and fail and end up in despair. See, I can tell you how bad it is. I can give you the list of what not to do. I can tell you what to do. But you can't stop yourself from misusing the powerful tongue that you've been given. But there is hope because there is one who has only ever used his tongue and speech rightly. And you guessed who it is, it's Jesus. 
He's the one who only ever spoke goodness from his mouth. Whether it came across that way or not, it was always true. He always spoke truth from the motivation of love. His heart was perfectly good. So the only thing that overflowed out of his mouth was goodness. He, he spoke true and life-giving words because he was the living word made flesh. He became incarnate. And just like God in the original creation creates goodness and life through his words, so too does God speak in the new creation, the living logos through the word made flesh. We see the beauty of God displayed in Christ. Jesus lives a life where he speaks words of healing and hope. He stands up and says, what does he say? He reads these prophecies, these words that have been written about a, a, a savior that would come and bring life to the people and bring this new kingdom. And he says, today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your ears. I am here to fulfill those words. He dignifies all those that others demean that was intentional with his life. He saw the likeness of God in every single human he interacted with. Imagine being able to see the world that way. To see the beauty of every single human. And to those who sought to strip away dignity and worth from others, he stood up and spoke truth to them. He spoke up to save others. But when it came time to save himself, he went silent. He knew that in his tongue held the power of death and life. He knew that to speak up would mean the saving of his own life, but to remain silent would mean the saving of the world. And so he closed his mouth like a sheep led to the slaughter. When others were using their words to mock, not just someone made in the image of God, this was Jesus, God himself. And, and as he's hanging there, bloody on the cross, and they're telling him, you who saved others, why don't you save yourself? Just mocking him with their words. They failed to realize that he was saving others still by laying down not only his lips by remaining silent, but by giving up his very life. And even on the cross, his words were not those of condemnation. If anyone had the right to demean and destroy and to fight back, it was the son of God. He was perfectly vindicated against all of his accusers and he could have zapped them in a moment. And instead, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Not only did the words of Jesus against his accusers remain silent, but as he's laid in a grave, the word himself goes silent for three days. But the word does not stay silent for long because this silent lamb led like a sheep to the slaughter on the third day rises up out of the grave like a roaring lion, lion conquering death, hell, and the grave. And this same fire of hell that, that sets on fire our tongues is defeated and stamped out by the one who rises with its keys in his hand. No human could tame the tongue, but the God-man brings hope because the word incarnate now has 
And so what he offers to us is this great exchange. He says, bring to me your lying, conniving, evil, restless tongue. And in exchange, I'm gonna give you my perfect life. He doesn't ask you to white knuckle it, to figure it out, to just bite your tongue. He says, I'm giving you a new heart, a new life. So it's, it's not just learning how to manage it and discipline it, saying, no, I'm making you through my life, death, burial, and resurrection. I'm gonna take your old restless tongue and I'm gonna take that body, I'm gonna bury it in the ground just like I did sin. And what's gonna come forth is a new creation that begins to spring forth life and beauty. And he gives us a new heart. Out of our heart, the mouth speaks. So when our heart is made new, so is our tongue. And I love this, this vision of the word we get all throughout scriptures. In Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes down after Jesus risen from the grave and he says, it's better for me to go because I'm gonna leave you the Holy Spirit. And they, they pray and they wait in dependence. And then we see the Holy Spirit come down and what do we see? Tongues of fire resting on the heads of people. But it's not fires of hell, it's the fire of the Holy Spirit. This is the exchange. And what do they begin to do? Speak the good news of Jesus. The answer isn't just to shut up, it's to speak life. Tongues that were once used to demean and divide and devalue and set gate card and said, you gotta do this and do that so you can be one with God. Now they begin to speak to different nations, tribes and tongues coming to faith. And how, as Paul tells us, how does this happen? By the hearing of the word of God. God has chosen to use speech and words to communicate. You get to play a part in that. It's incredible. The remaking of speech once used for evil, now being used to unite and speak good news. In Acts, we read the church was in one accord, unity through this, around the gospel of Jesus. The tongue can only be tamed through the work of Christ because he has become the word and tamed the tongue on our behalf. And this changes us through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The only hope we have, if you've not received them, that's the call. Lay that down. If you have, be reminded that that's the only thing that can sanctify you is going back to the gospel. Through this, there is hope for our tongues to be used to bring life and not death. We saw the danger of the tongue, the taming of the tongue. And lastly, we see the mission of the tongue. In our passage today, James is honest with us about the negative dangers of the tongue, but towards the end of the book of James, he gives us a positive and wholesome view. I'm not gonna read it because we're gonna see it uh, towards the end of our series, but in chapter five, he closes the letter of the church and he talks about this speech and he says that a church that has been, been captured by the goodness of God and that has a live faith that they will not be complaining about each other that they will be honest, their yes will be yes and their no will be no. They'll not be passive aggressive and deceitful and trying to get their way through conniving manipulative, manipulative means. He says they will pray for one another and care for one another in their suffering. He says that when they're cheerful, they'll sing praises together. He says that they will confess sins one to another and, and pray for those sins. He says they will speak words that turn sinners away from the errors of their paths. This is a snapshot of, of what we could look like if we really begin to understand what the living word Jesus has saved us from. 
When we realize that, that the hell that we deserve because of, of the tongue that we used in a wrong manner, that Jesus took that freely and gave us life instead, we will continue the mission of the early church. One of the things that should be radically different about followers of Jesus that I think we give ourselves a pass on a lot is the way we speak. There should be a difference between us and the culture around us. This is why we gather regularly, church, here on Sundays, together in homes throughout the week or in growth partnerships or just in organic hangouts, whatever that looks like. We gather to encourage each other and remind each other of the good news so that we can then scatter and take that good news to the world and the everyday stuff of life. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. And so quickly, in close, all I wanna do is just encourage us of what this might look like. I wanna share a vision of what this might look like for New Eden Church. If we have grasped what Christ has done for us, we will firstly be a church that, that uses our speech to pray. Something I've been convicted about uh, recently, to take things to God, to confess dependence, and say, I don't fully understand how the sovereignty of God over this situation works with my involvement through prayer, but I do understand that God has somehow sovereignly said, just like in creation, where you get to be a part of my glory going, I'm gonna let you join in in this through prayer. You're gonna get to participate. Not so you can get credit, but so God can get credit. He actually does answer prayer. And I know it's not always in the way we like and his, his plans are so much bigger than ours, but we get to pray for those who are, are sick and struggling. Like I know we have families in our body that are, are walking through that. Like we don't just say, hey, like I'm praying for you, not even me. Like, no, we say, we're gonna actually go pray about that for sin. When someone's in sin and, and running, we're, we're praying and trying to bring them back. It's why the church will also be a church that confesses sin. We don't hide it. We bring it in the light. I'm not saying everyone needs to know everything, but someone does. Another brother or sister needs to be able to go to say, hey man, I messed up yesterday. I talked this way to my kids or my wife, or I, I looked at this or I said this thing and I, I need you to pray for me. That's what James says. Pray for one another. We'll also be a church that sings praises. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great redeemer's praise. So at church, when we sing, it's not just something we do. Like, I, and sometimes I get that we don't feel like singing. I'm not saying fake it. Like, there's probably nothing that bugs me more than someone up leading music that like tries to conjure people up into singing. So that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, we're here, it's a means of grace for us. So even if you don't mean it, like, like hearing the, the words and, and, and saints around you sing songs that maybe for you that morning, it's a prayer. Like, let my heart actually believe that, that you have grace for me. Let my heart believe that I'm a son and daughter, because right now, I don't feel like it. But as, as we hear brothers and sisters singing around us and Vlad's belting it out and, and I, I sing loud and he's actually on key, I'm not. But it's like, let's just sing out together. Like, it's beautiful. I mean that. And we all have different roles in that, right? But it's, it's what Colossians 3.16 says. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another. How? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. 
It's a means to teach, to, to disciple, to form and shape us. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. That's a gift for us, church. Doesn't that just be on Sundays? We got recordings now and you can sing in your car. and That's awesome. But I love when uh, the psalmist even says, when he's discouraged, he remembers the songs of the saints singing in the tabernacle. Like even when I'm singing songs in my car, like if it's a song we sung in here, I'm, I'm really picturing it in here. And there's certain songs even that I'm like, this song isn't great. And then I sing it on Sunday morning, I'm like, this is amazing. Because like, I know this person over here is suffering and they're singing it out. That's incredible. How can you sing about the goodness of God through that? That doesn't make sense. And it, it, it forms and shapes me. So we'll pray, we'll confess sin, we'll sing praises, we'll speak truth. We'll let our yes be yes and our no be no. And I feel like sometimes we speak truth about always like correcting people. And I want to be clear, that is a piece of it, okay? But also speaking truth and just being honest about where we're at. I feel like we're good in the South. Just smile, oh, everything's great. Southern hospitality, oh no, that didn't bother me at all. <laughs> While we're trashing you over there, I can't believe they did that and left me out of that or whatever. It's like, let's just talk about it, right? And as a church, we can do that. That's, that's part of what let your yes be yes and your no be no, but also the, the, the not letting untruths and lies from the enemy just begin to creep in and like, oh, that's just normal. No, it might be in the culture, shouldn't be in the church. And then all that is done from the motivation of love. We know what Ephesians says about that, but it's done to build up. And so we're checking our own hearts. We're having conversations with God about that because sometimes you do need to have that conversation with God before you go have your converse, that conversation with your brother and sister and make sure you're thinking rightly about it. But Ephesians 4.29 says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good. A lot of times we think that's, well, no, no cursing, right? Here's the point there. Like, let's look at the, 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 the other. So foul language is the negative. So the opposite of foul language is what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. What builds up? What gives grace to those who hear? The church can, can show a path forward because the world doesn't know those two, two things held together mostly. The world, you have two options. Like you, you're coming in with like truth bombs, no love, or like what we claim to be all love and no truth, right? And the world says, hey, we can I mean, the church says we can show a better way. We also bring back those who stray we're having honest conversations as people are in sin. And those are tough. I've had to have some of those. They're not easy. They are hard. They should be bathed in prayer. But that's what we're praying for. I want New Eden to be a place where when people stray, they can come back. Because most of the time, the church isn't even a place for that. You can stray, maybe go find another church. And I'm not saying sometimes that's, that's the way it works out. And praise God for him using the variety of churches we have. But we want them to be able to come back. And then we're a church, lastly, that declares good news. All nations, tribes, and tongues. We want to proclaim this to the ends of the earth. How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they, how will they go unless they're sent? I don't even know what that passage says, but you get the point. That's bad. I need to uh, memorize that. The point is that we're involved in that. And so, so all this is the part in close that we get to play until he returns. Thank God that our deceptive tongues that are full of restless evil don't have the last word. Jesus does. And this is what we're longing for. Look at Revelation 21. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. 
They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The tears you've cried because of hurtful words that have been said to you or that you've said to others. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. The one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. You do not get to say what God believes about you. Only he does. And he says, it is done I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life that only gives fresh water. The one who conquers will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. This is the word spoken over us. And this is the hope for those of us who have unclean lips and who dwell among a people of unclean lips is that Jesus is holy and he has given you his righteousness in exchange for your filthy tongue. Let's pray.